Welcome to King's Arms. Welcome. We're so glad to be with you this week. And um, it's a big week in the Holly household it for us. It is a big week for us. It's yeah. a big week. Simon's got a 50th birthday this week. So You'd never have guessed, would you? I, mean, I know. He's, he's looking good. He's looking, <laughs> looking good. And um, I think maybe somewhere in my subconscious I'm a bit nervous about it because I did have a dream that um, he was my father. Which I'm not. <laughs> which I'm not, by the way. And, I am um, four years behind, so yeah. it wouldn't really, the maths wouldn't add it up. It was but. quite disturbing, but not <laughs> as disturbing as the dream that I had when uh, some months ago I dreamed that my mother wasn't my mother, but actually my sister was my mother. <laughs> And uh, my mother was actually my grandmother. I don't know what is going on in our heads, but it's some kind of midlife crisis. Something to do with something, midlife, I'm sure. My I'm sister sure. was not happy about it, it has to be said. <laughs> and it's not true as well. It's not true, just for the record. <laughs> okay, we digress. Yes. Focus, 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 focus. Communion. Oh yeah, communion, sorry, yes. <laughs> so it's great to have you with us today. And today, uh, we, as part of our uh, service together, we're taking communion. So do, if you can get some wine, get some bread, um, grab that and get ready to take that later in the mm. meeting. Um, if you're desperate like we sometimes are, you can use water and a, maybe a cashew nut, which mm. has got all sorts of theological reasons why you shouldn't do that. So get the wine and the bread if you can, but if you're desperate, use something else. Um, because it's part of a moment where we can celebrate together what Christ has done for us. We yeah. remember the wine sig signifies his blood, the bread signifies his body broken for us and we take a moment it's a serious moment it's a exciting moment it's a moment of celebration it's a moment of remembrance and so get ready for that mm. later on in the meeting mm. and we're also really excited to share with you guys this morning a new king's arms initiative um, in partnership with um, htb which is the church that started alpha and it's called retrack here's a video In years from now, when this time is a history lesson or a question asked by our children's children, where was God's love? Did you see it? Was it there? Or was it hiding amidst the chaos, covered by the rubble of our despair? Just how powerful did it turn out to be? And we will recall that even in the devastation, grief and hardship, love showed up. Because the people of God stood up. We gathered online and we worshipped. We got on our knees and prayed. And we decided we are going to love like never before. And we went about fulfilling God's greatest commandments to love the Lord God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And out of that chaos and despair, hope stirred. Our love turned into food packages so that people's families would not go hungry. Our love chopped, stirred, seasoned and delivered hot meals for our NHS heroes. Our love picked up medicine for those who are sick and elderly. Our love made care packages for new mothers. Our love picked up the phone to someone with no one to talk to. Our love sometimes looked tired, but was always willing. There were so many acts of generosity, kindness and sacrifice. So many lives changed because of this love and we lost count. This was the love that swept through the nation as we pulled together, helped one another, and we became the hands and feet of Jesus in every town, city, nation, around the world. It's God's love we'll remember 
because that's the kind of love that never gives up. And we, the church, are never going to stop loving. Lord, we can't do this without you. Revive us. Restore us. Remind us how to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our mind, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. We've just found out we've been awarded a match-funded grant from the government to set up a career and employment centre here at King's House. We're going to be calling it Retrack, helping people to get back on track. We want to bring hope, encouragement and practical support to those in our community who have been affected by this pandemic. The Job Centre and others will be able to refer people to us and we'll have computers and free Wi-Fi so people will be able to search for and apply for jobs online. We want to help people with CV writing, uh, support with applications, we want to help people with interview skills and even to give food parcels to those most in need. So we'll connect people to debt advice, food banks and even English language skills programmes. We just want to be good news for our town. And so this is our chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those most in need. So can you help? We're looking for volunteers for just a few hours a week. You don't need any specific talents. We'll give you full training. We just want a willing, loving heart. Even if you can't volunteer, you can still get involved, whether it's giving financially, whether it's donating food items or praying for us as we get this fantastic initiative set up. So let's do as Christ commands and love our neighbours. You can find out more at retrack.org. It's so great to be able to be serving our community. And it's so good. It's so good, isn't it? If you want to find out more or get involved, you can go to re-track.org. Very good. Let's um, prepare our hearts for worship, shall we? I was just reflecting um, as I was listening to a song this week about how he, Jesus has turned an altar into a table. One was a sacrificial system that was formal and uh, um, helped people connect with God, but in a very formalized way. But Jesus made it into a table, a place of communion, um, a place of informality. We can meet with God as friends. So it says in uh, Psalms 23, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup mm. overflows. So Lord, we just thank you that you prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. The, the table of communion that we're going to take later on was the place where you prepared a table that we could feast and connect with yeah, you, that we could know our sins are washed away, our healing comes, that life comes to us in the mm -hmm. presence of our enemies. Even though the enemies are around us, we know that we are in your presence. And we just thank you, Lord, for that. Let's fix our eyes on him and worship him together, shall we? I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah my way is a melody I raise a hallelujah heaven comes to fight for me
inside of me I raise a hallelujah I will watch the darkness flee yeah. I raise a hallelujah In the middle of a mystery
Free. 
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet.
Yeah, God, we, we just thank you. We remember the, the mountains that you've moved in the past where it seemed absolutely impossible and you knew the best way and you came through. We remember that, God. We call that to memory and it, it gives us um, faith and it gives us hope for today's mountains. And we just, um, we trust you, God. We give you the challenges in front of us. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. Well, as you'll know, over the last number of weeks, we have been really excited to share just testimonies of people as they've given their life to Christ. And I had mm. the opportunity recently to get to meet with Wendy Miller and hear her story, which some of which I knew before, some of which I didn't know. It's a, didn't know. It's a phenomenal story yeah. as she just uh, tells how Jesus has transformed her life, where she came from, what Jesus did, mm. and the differences made in her life. Enjoy this. Amazing. Hello, my name's Wendy Miller, and I'm going to tell you a bit about my story becoming a Christian. Uh, what was life like before I was a Christian? Life was pretty grim before Jesus. I was very unhappy and couldn't find any fulfilment. Through my life, I had been looking for a place to fit. In the 60s, I was very shy and unsure of myself. Then one of my work friends introduced me to drugs, which at the time I thought was so great. I now had confidence. I could chat to anyone. The downside was when I wasn't taking the pills, I felt terrible. That all came to a head when I overdosed. Life continued. I met my husband, but didn't make a good job of marriage either. I tried transcendental meditation, that was rubbish. Alcohol, not good either. Nothing was meeting my needs. I was having a real bad time in my life, desperately unhappy and didn't want to live. My husband asked our friend Maureen Campbell to help me. She had become a Christian a year before. I met her at her house and she asked me to write down on a piece of paper words describing how I felt. I did so. She said, write on the opposite side of each word the opposite meaning, i.e. love and hate. I did this. She then said, tear the people paper down the middle, screw up all the bad words and throw them in the bin. This represents the foot of the cross. She then asked if she could pray for me and said she would ask Jesus to give me all of the good things which I had written. I didn't think she was going to pray for me until after I'd gone home. Not so. She prayed right then that Jesus would show me his love and kindness, etc. Immediately I felt the love of Jesus soak over me. I cried. I had never in all my life felt loved before. It was amazing. The difference Jesus has made to my life is awesome. The very next day I stopped swearing. My vocabulary had been awful. Now I had no need to swear. I couldn't stop smiling. I was so happy. 
This went on for months, but of course you can't live on a high forever. Life has never been the same. I will love Jesus forever, but life of course has its difficulties. But having the love of Jesus and knowing that he will never leave me makes life so very much better. There's always more to learn, and I like that about God. Life is a journey that I never want to go on on my own, and I don't have to, as I, was, I will always have Jesus in my life. Wasn't that great to hear that story? Um, just so encouraging to hear Wendy's story. Wasn't it so good? Yes, yeah, so good. And I just uh, want to encourage us all uh, to be ready to tell our stories. Mm. The, the Bible says that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And there is a world That's out there good. that needs hope. And uh, we carry a hope. We have a joy that comes from the hope that we carry mm. because of what Christ has done in us. So let's, let's all get ready. Let's practice in our homes, in our friendship groups. Uh, what, what, how, what was it life like for, for you before you became a Christian? What, what happened when you became a Christian? And what difference has it made in your life? And if you're not yet a Christian, I, I would just encourage you as a response to that story. What would it look like for you to give your life to follow Jesus? Let's, uh, let's, um, we'll take a moment. At the end of the meeting, you can respond to that as well. Amazing. That's good. Now it's our, our chance to give into all that the King's Arms is doing. Um, if you want to give, you can click on the link on the screen or some of us give by, by standing order. Um, that's good too, whatever is easiest for you. And thank you so much for your generosity and your partnership over the years. Yeah, it's good. Mm. And now um, we've got Phil Wilthy speaking to us this morning. So open your heart and enjoy. Well, hello. Uh, many of you have been asking how we are getting on with our house. Uh, if you don't know, the Wilthews have had house disasters this year. In fact, we calculated that we've been living out of our house for five months out of the last 10, uh, having various kind of renovations and building work done. But we are finally back in. And uh, just thank you for all of those that have prayed for us and cooked for us and helped and cleaned. And uh, just thank you so much. It's great to be back home. And as we come to today's passage in Nehemiah, we are, of course, reading the story of a whole people that were coming back home. They had actually spent 152 years out of their home and are now returning under the leadership of Nehemiah, where they are about a great rebuilding project. They are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem so they can inhabit the city again. And as we come to today's passage in Nehemiah 5, we discover that the, the rebuilding process is going really, really well. They're making great progress. But today's story, we find that they hit a snag. And I would call this snag an authenticity snag, an authenticity snag. Now, all of us as human beings have this internal hardwired authenticity meter going off all the time where we are making judgments about how believable and how trusted people can be, how authentic they're being. I don't know if you've ever tried to buy a car or, you know, you've come across a salesman trying to sell you something. Inside your authenticity meter is going off. Can I trust this person? And we are trying to judge the validity of someone's message by the authenticity of the messenger. I remember this happening to me in my very first week at university. I was living in halls of residence in Newcastle and I went along to a small group meeting of our CU, the Christian Union. And so I was sitting in the dorm room of the CU leader who is leading a Bible study. And I was sitting in his dorm room. He had his Bible open and we were doing a study on purity and holiness. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He was sitting there facing me 
And he'd opened his Bible and he said, right, let's talk about holiness and purity. What is God saying to us about holiness and purity today? And as he was saying those words, I could see behind him that there was a poster in his bedroom of a half naked woman. And so my answer to his question was, well, you can start by ripping that jolly poster off your wall. <laughs> and that was my week one introduction to the CU leader. And it didn't get much better from there, to be honest. But it was a very obvious authenticity snag. Inside, I was making a judgment. Can I believe your message because of your authenticity as a person? And so for Nehemiah in today's story, he hits this authenticity snag moment where the rebuilding is going very well, but the poor are being ripped off in the process. The mission is succeeding, but the mercy is failing. And this is what you call a major, major authenticity problem. Because ultimately it doesn't matter how effective you are and how much fruit you're bearing, if you ignore the poor, then you are effectively setting yourself up in opposition to God. And that's what we find happening in today's passage in Nehemiah. He's become strong in mission, but weak in mercy. Let's read together in verse 1 of chapter 5. We read this. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now, it's interesting in the time that we're living in that these very same themes that Nehemiah has to contend with are some of the very same themes that we are having to contend with today. Just notice them. There is not enough to go around. People have large mortgages. There is greater borrowing. There are higher taxes. There are mounting debts. There is economic uncertainty. There is pressure on those who have the very least. And of course, that's what's happening in our culture right now because of the effects of covid in our society. So over the past three months, the numbers of people claiming out-of-work benefits has more than doubled. It reached 2.7 million people in July. It's estimated that the economic fallout of COVID will leave 1.1 million people in our nation below the poverty line in the United Kingdom. So these issues that Nehemiah is facing, we are facing right now. And so the question from today's passage is, what is our response? How do we become a people of mercy, not just a great mission? And so let's consider how Nehemiah tackled these particular issues amongst the poorest and amongst the least. So the number one, number one thing we see in this passage is don't be a nimby. I'll say that again. Don't be a nimby. Verse six, Nehemiah writes this. When I heard their outcry and those charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. Don't be a nimby. 
Now, NIMBY is a phrase that was coined in the 1980s and it literally stands for not in my backyard, a NIMBY. Now, the official definition of a NIMBY, didn't know there was such a thing, reads this. A NIMBY is a person who objects to the sighting of something perceived as unpleasant or hazardous in their own neighbourhood, especially while raising no such objections to similar developments elsewhere, not in my backyard. And a NIMBY, when it comes to the poor, is the attitude of, well, I want someone to help the poor, I just don't want it to be me. You know, it's someone's problem, but it's not my problem. You know, someone do something about these people that are in hardship, but just let it not be me, a NIMBY. But Nehemiah's response to the plight of the poor is exactly the opposite. He doesn't have a not in my backyard mentality. He immediately engages his heart and it says, I was very angry. It touched him. It touched his emotions. It engaged him at a physical, emotional level. He was touched by the outcry of the poor. The question is, are you and I touched by the outcry of the poor at the moment? Or is it just bouncing off us as somebody else's problem? And there are, of course, many reasons why sometimes we can leave ourselves removed and a bit aloof from the plight and the cry of the poor. Um, sometimes it's just that we simply don't care. Let's be honest. Sometimes we are so self-absorbed that we really just don't care about the poor. As long as I'm not in poverty, then it's not my problem. And friends, if that's you, there is one answer. Repent. You need to change the way that you think if you don't care about the poor. But also sometimes we can stop engaging our hearts emotionally because of what I would call compassion fatigue which is where we can give and give and give to the broken and the poor and those who are suffering injustice. And eventually our compassion just wears out, not just because we don't care, but because we have a finite amount of compassion to give and we can run out, we can get fatigued. And in the end, we have to self-preserve to keep ourselves going because we have nothing left to give. Sometimes that's why we remain removed. Another reason is sometimes paralysis. We look at numbers like the ones I read earlier and we think, gosh, there is so much need. I just have no idea where to start. I've no idea how I can personally engage and be part of the answer. And we get into the paralysis of analysis and we end up doing nothing. There are many reasons why we don't get engaged. But for Nehemiah, he allows the reality of the suffering into his life. He connects. You know, and not all anger is godly, but some anger is godly. And this type of anger that Nehemiah felt was a godly anger. And it was an anger that provoked him to action. You know, and there are many moments, I think, in my life where God has activated my heart for the poor. And to be honest, not always in moments that I was looking for. Sometimes the surprising moments of life. But I tell you what, if you start praying, God, would you connect my heart to the plight of the poor? He will answer that prayer. I guarantee it. He will answer that prayer. He will either send people to you or he will visit you because God cares for the poor and he will answer your prayer. So many moments in my life where God has done that. I remember years ago, I used to live in a a very famous part in Newcastle called the Biker Wall. Some of you may have seen Biker Grove back in the day which wasn't actually filmed in Biker, but that's another story. I used to live in the Biker Wall, and it was a, a very kind of working class, very kind of poor area. And when Carol and I were first married, we lived in the Biker Wall. I remember one day, knock at the door, 
And there's a guy, a guy called Chris, standing at my door. Uh, he was loosely attached to our church. He was a drug addict. I don't know how he found out where I lived, but he knocked on my door. He had hardly any clothes to wear. What he was wearing was completely tatty. And he just said, Phil, can I come in for a cup of tea? I was like, yeah, come on in. Later on, he said, can I have a bath? I was like, yeah, help yourself. I ran him a bath. After the bath, he said, have you got any clothes? He said, this is literally all I've got and I can't put these dirty clothes back on. And I realized literally he was wearing the only set of clothes that he owned. You think how life has got you when you have to ask someone else for clothes because you have none to wear. And so I remember I gave him my best suit, my only suit. And he walked out of my flat that day wearing my suit. And I remember that day God arrested my heart for the poor. You remember another lady who came and lived with us. She was a Ugandan refugee uh, asylum seeker and she had fled a village where she'd seen many of in her own family massacred and she'd ended up in the United Kingdom as an asylum seeker. And I remember she came and lived with us for a while and it was an experience living with someone who'd been through such trauma who had hardly any, any language. You know, we've had people live with us who've been fleeing domestic violence or who've been fleeing drug addiction. I remember in the first six months of Carol and I getting married, one of her colleagues at work suddenly got kicked out of his flat by his girlfriend because they broke up. We said, come and live with us. Two weeks turned into six months. You know, there have been so many moments in my life where God has answered that prayer, show me the poor, connect my heart to your heart. I tell you what, God will answer it in the big and the small ways. And that's what happens for Nehemiah. But notice what Nehemiah does. He feels angry but what he doesn't do is fly off the handle in some kind of injustice-induced rage. He does something entirely different. We read here, it says, I pondered these things in my heart. He takes his anger, but he studiously works out what he should do with it. You know, that's a great leadership lesson right there. When we get touched with the injustice of the poor, it's so easy to fly off the handle in emotionalism rather than stopping with the Lord to say, God, what would you have me do with the feelings that I am feeling right now? And that's what Nehemiah does. He sits down. That word ponders literally means he took counsel with himself. He worked out what to do with the things that he was feeling and noticing. And I wish I'd learned those lessons earlier on in my life. I wish I'd learned how to ponder and reflect and do the journey with God with wisdom and that's what Nehemiah does in this moment. He works out what to do with the things that he's feeling. And my challenge to you today as you listen to this, wherever you're listening to this message is engage your heart with the plight of the poor. Don't turn away, don't be a nimby, engage your heart, pray and allow the Father to touch your heart. But then do the next step, ponder these things and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do next? Let's carry on in the story and read the next thing that Nehemiah does. We read in verse seven. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. But now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Here's the second thing that Nehemiah does. He engages collective responsibility. 
He gathers everyone together that are ripping off the poor and he says, guys, we got a problem and we can solve it together. He engages collective responsibility. And this is such a crucial thing in this season when we are facing such poverty in our nation that we realise we can do more together than we can apart. We can do more together than we can apart. And I'll suggest to you that individualism is one of the great enemies of helping the poor and tackling injustice because on our own we can only do so much, but together we can do so much more. And that's what Nehemiah does here. He gathers the people and says, come on guys, this is not just one person's problem, this is all of our problem. Let's do something together and change this deal, change these circumstances. Friends, I want to say to you, poverty in Bedford or in Milton Keynes or wherever you're watching this message, it is our problem. It is our responsibility and actually it's our privilege to do something about it in both the little ways and the big ways. To say, God, would you switch the mercy on in our heart in this season so that together we can be the hands and feet of Jesus where you've placed us. I just loved an example of this recently where we took up an offering for the Catalyst Churches. We are part of a big movement of churches called Catalyst and uh, Simon Holly, who leads that team, he gave uh, an appeal several months ago to raise money for relief in poorer nations that are suffering economic hardship because of COVID. And he did a very, very quick video and appeal for churches to give generously and to be honest, it was probably one of the least slick videos of that kind that we've ever done. He just did an appeal from his living room. But from that one appeal from many churches up and down our nation, we have now raised over £640,000 to give to the poor right across the world. That has now resulted in feeding over 22,000 people in some of the poorest parts of the world. How did that happen? because we took collective responsibility. We decided we can do something together more than we could on our own. You know, just a few individual stories from that offering from Catalyst. In Greece, 550 food bags have been distributed to refugees in the Roma and Greek families in the refugee camps. That's some over 4,000 hot meals that have been prepared and distributed in downtown Athens. Another family, an Iranian family, wrote that they'd received a food bag in Greece from the team and that just that very day when they received their food bag, their oil, rice and tea bags had completely run out on that very day that they were given a food bag from our Catalyst Relief Fund. Another pastor in Albania, he shared his thanks for us helping the poorest in his community. This is what he wrote to us. He said, hello. hello. We want to thank you first for the support and the help that you gave. I have to mention that it's been, had quite an impact on alleviating the economic and psychological and spiritual struggle we as a church are having during this time. Your help came at the right time to remind us that we are not alone and that we have brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? To remind us that we had brothers and sisters. There is such a joy and hope to see that we are part of a bigger family and this has helped us and given us strength. So thank you again for everything that you did for us and God bless you. You see there's power when a community comes together to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Friends, our community needs that right now. And our challenge is not just to think about me and mine. The challenge is to think about how can we be 
the answer to our community. And then the last thing that we see in our story today is that we are called to live in the fear of God and to act in faith. In verse nine, we read, so I continued, what you are doing here is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the, the reproach of our gentle enemy, enemies? I, my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the interest that you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Notice what happens here. Nehemiah appeals to them to live in the fear of God. He says, you should look after the poor because you fear God. Friends, this, this is a really serious point. If we live in the fear of God, we will look after the poorest and the last and the least because they matter to God. And you can't help actually but read scripture and be struck by the seriousness that God puts on us helping the poor. Proverbs 19:17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 14, verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Anyone here want to insult God? Well, you do it by ignoring the poor. But he who is generous to the needy honours God. Isaiah 58, 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Or Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Ever wondered why sometimes your prayers are not answered? Well, Proverbs tells you. Why do we care for the poor? Because we live in the fear of God. It's right, it honours God when we look after the least and the last in our communities. And notice what this fear of God leads to. It leads to action from Nehemiah himself. He doesn't just demand action from others. He says, actually, I myself am going to stop charging interest. He takes a hit personally in his own pocket to respond to what God is saying. I love that. And this, of course, is the difference between conviction and faith. Conviction is the feeling that you should change. Faith is actually doing something about it. So today you might listen to this message and think, gosh, I really must do something about the poor. Uh, I, that, does, that does sound right. I really must do something about that. But maybe by tomorrow morning, you've forgotten. You've got on with your life. You've got on with your day. Well, I suggest to you that's conviction. But Nehemiah moves from conviction to faith. He says, I know this is wrong and I'm going to do something about it. So friends, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? God's calling us to act. 1 John 3:17 says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. That's real faith. Faith that takes our love for people and puts it into action. You know, I was on a call recently with some uh, new friends who are church leaders, apostolic leaders in Kenya, and they are serving numbers of rural churches in Kenya, mostly very, very poor churches. And in conversation with them, as we are starting to help them, I realized that they have no running water in the churches that they're serving. 
And I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me as we were chatting to this lovely apostolic man. And I just thought, we, we cannot just help you build better churches. We've got to build a well in your community because that's what love looks like. Ultimately, we've got to look after the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs of your community. And so I'm looking for ways that we can build a well right there in Kenya, in rural Kenya. What does love look like in action for you? And as we close, I just want to suggest two very practical ways that you can get involved in serving and looking out for the poor in our own community in King's Arms. Number one, you can get involved in our very own and very brilliant King's Arms project. I love our King's Arms project and I just want to recommend and commend to you the work of our King's Arms project, which looks after the homeless in Bedford and works with refugees and asylum seekers and those that have been displaced. And they do an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal job in our culture and in our town. I just want to encourage you to get involved. Get on their website. You can check it out through the King's Arms website or directly go to King's Arms Project Bedford and just get involved. You can pray for the project. You can volunteer on the project. You can start giving to the project. You can just find out how you can be a supporter to help those who are homeless in Bedford. So get involved in King's Arms Project is number one. Second way that you can get involved is a new project that's coming online very soon called Project Retrack. And we are going to be running a, this project from our building in the coming weeks and months. And it's a new project particularly set up to help those who are going to be economically disadvantaged in this season, particularly those who are out of work, those who maybe don't have a, a knowledge of the benefits system and need help getting access to it. Maybe those that don't have access to computers and need help uh, applying for jobs and putting together their CVs. We're going to make this a one-stop shop to signpost people to food packages and care packages and toys for children, those that need those things in this season. We're going to set up a project here to help those in our community because right now that is going to be one of the up-and-coming needs of many people, particularly the poorest in Bedford. So you can sign up, you can volunteer and get involved in Project Retrack. If you want to know more, uh, you can contact Isabel Turner at the King's Arms Church offices or just look out on the website for more details. These are two ways that practically you can get involved. King's Arms Project, Project Retrack. But listen, whatever you do in this season, let it not just be about the mission. Let it also be about the mercy. Let it be about the heart of the Father for the poorest. Let's rebuild a wall, yes. Let's get on with the job, yes. But let's not forget our compassion in the process. Amen. Thank you so much, Phil. That was so good. And today we're just going to finish with communion. We're going to end a bit differently. Simon, why don't you lead us through communion? Yeah. 1, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we take communion as a, a remembrance of what Christ has done for us, that he has uh, gave himself for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the restoration, the resurrection of our bodies one day, that he is in us and uh, working through us 
that we partake of his uh, blood and his body and these symbols, uh, recognizing that we are now in Christ if we're followers of him. Mm. And uh, if you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but what you've heard today or over previous weeks, you're ready for that step, then I'd encourage you to use this first communion as a step to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to receive your sacrifice mm. for myself. But let me just pray and then we're going to uh, um, finish uh, the meeting. You can just take as long as you like, just taking communion together in your homes. If you're watching online on your own, then uh, join in with a chat, uh, live prayer. Uh, the host there would love to pray with you um, just as, a, as you take communion. So yeah, Father, we just thank you for this, uh, this, these symbols that you've given us in your son, Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make these things alive and real to us today and that wherever our King's Arms family is scattered across uh, our region, even across the world, we just thank you, Father, that we are united in one body. We're united in one uh, um, uh, head, Jesus Christ. And we just thank you, Lord, for uh, that, that memory that we can make of that today. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice for each one of us. Mm -hmm. We thank you for your forgiveness. And if there's any things in your heart that you, Lord, you need the Lord to forgive you, just bring them to his attention now just mm. say lord forgive me yeah. wash me clean from this thing if there's anyone that you need to forgive take a moment now just to forgive as you take communion lord we just thank you for the power of your blood mm. we thank you for the power of your broken body to bring restoration and wholeness to each one of us and we take these symbols as uh, in remembrance of you today we thank you lord for your sacrifice in your mighty name amen amen let's take communion together shall we <laughs> Don't make a comment. He's not, Josh, he's, he's banning any comments all about the him snacks, the food. All the snacks, all the drinks. This is now a stitch up. <laughs> Phil made me say that Josh is eating again. He's denying it, but who will know, ever know the truth? <laughs> Um, you can go to retrack.org, retrack-track.org. No, no, re-track.org. Oh, dadgum. I got, we're going to have to do that again. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, re-track.org. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 we'll do that, that again. We'll do that again. <laughs> retrack-track.org. <laughs>